0: Oh it uh, I believe it was the TV show. Uh, I believe it was the way he did it. The awkward nature, the 23 questions asked of him by the host Jim Gray, uh, you know, and the inane questions. And he just he looked so uncomfortable and he was it, it was just the whole ambiance of it. and he turned his back on his hometown in such in a way that was disgraceful. I mean saying I'm taking my talents to South Beach it played horribly, not just in Cleveland, but across the country. It was only down here in South Florida. And by the way, I live in Miami, so I'm yeah. just down the road from you. And, and you know, everywhere but here, uh, it was a really, really bad moment for LeBron, for ESPN, Jim Gray got roughed up. And so I, I think it was actually less about the decision. It wasn't until the next night when he did that rally when people started looking at, okay, now it's him putting together a super team with D-Wade and Chris Bosch. But that first night, that first impression of the way he did it, I think was worse.
1: Don, who came up with the idea, and how did it evolve into what it was? That's a great question, Evan. So we
0: discovered that actually it wasn't LeBron who came up with the idea. It wasn't anyone around LeBron. It wasn't uh, ESPN. It was actually a guy named Drew. I don't know Drew's last name. He lives in Columbus, Ohio. In November 2009, Drew wrote an email to bill simmons published in bill simmons's mailbag column and drew said hey this summer when lebron announces his free agency decision he should do it live on abc simmons responded in that column hey great idea lebron should put it on pay-per-view and charge 45 bucks but then simmons took the idea and he brought it to maverick carter lebron's business partner leon rose LeBron's agent at the time, and World Wide West, LeBron's advisor, in February of 2010 at the All-Star Weekend in Dallas. Simmons also pitched it to ESPN executives. And apparently the, the uh, LeBron camp really liked the idea, but it went nowhere weirdly, even though Simmons worked at ESPN at the time. He was pitching executives again in May of that year. And it, it took until June at the NBA Finals in L.A., where Super Agent Ari Emanuel, Maverick Carter were there was Game 2, and Jim Gray, and then they had a discussion. And then when Ari Emanuel got involved and pitched it to ESPN, that's when the show got greenlit and uh, they moved forward with it.
1: And for anybody, this is, it's amazing how many worlds are tied into this. For anybody who's unaware of Ari Emanuel, that is the person that the Ari Gold character on Entourage is basically based off of, uh, which is crazy right. how it's all kind of intertwined here, just the random worlds of this. So, Don, if that was the, the decision, I guess pun intended there, uh, and what they went with, what was second place? What would they have done if this didn't work out? Do you know? You mean if they, if they had not done it live on ESPN, how would they have Correct. done it? Correct.
0: I don't, I don't know if that was ever considered. Um, I, you know, I don't think there was a plan B. Uh, once they decided to do it this way, this is the way they did it. Um, you know, Maverick Carter saw this as a way for LeBron and Maverick Carter and the people around him to control the narrative. They felt that this was going to be a way that they were going to, you know, on national television for a full hour, uh, be able to say it the way they wanted to say it. And, and, of course, that backfired. And, and what was interesting, Evan, there were people around LeBron, uh, like World Wide West, like Leon Rose, who soured on that idea in the days leading up to it. You know, it occurred to them, you know, maybe this isn't the best idea to go on national television and turn your back on your hometown after seven years. This has the potential to backfire. So Leon Rose and World Wide West were actually urging LeBron's inner circle to pull the plug on this in the days leading up to it. And I believe, I mean, I can't prove this. I didn't talk to LeBron about it, but I believe that those voices of warning were in his ears as he sat there because LeBron looks so uncomfortable. It's almost as if he was like, what am I doing here as Jim Gray was going through those interminable questions. Um, and I think the fact that he was so uncomfortable and obviously because also because he said, I'm taking my talents to South beach, uh, that did not help right in, in, in the announcement that he made. But, Maverick Carter rejected all that advice and they went forward with the show, and, uh, and those predictions that it would backfire came true.
1: Talk about Don Van I mean, amazing story. I'm so excited for this freaking show on Sunday night. Backstory 9 p.m. It's all about the decision, 10 year anniversary of it. Don, as, as LeBron sat there with Jim Gray in Greenwich, Connecticut at the Boys and Girls Club, which I want, I want to get to in a second, who knew what he was about to say?
0: Very few people knew, Evan. Uh, the Miami heat knew the Cavaliers didn't the Cavaliers executives were frantically calling rich Paul, uh, to find out uh, what the decision was. They only found out a minute or two before it came out of LeBron's mouth. Uh, none of the other teams knew. And, uh, LeBron's asked by the way, by Jim gray, how many people know your decision at this moment, just a few minutes before he announced it. And he, he said you could count them on one hand. Um, and so, you know, very, very few people knew they kept it very close. Uh, there was a lot of speculation that it was going to be Miami, as you may recall, because the day before Chris Bosh agreed to sign with the Miami Heat and join up with D. Wade. There were rumblings around the NBA for years that these three guys, D. Wade, LeBron, and Chris Bosh wanted to play together because they were teammates on the 2006 World Championship team. And then in 2008, they were teammates on the Olympics team and they became friends and they always wanted to play together. And a big clue that they were going to do this was they could have signed five-year max deals, and instead each of them signed three-year rookie contract extensions, meaning that they would all three of them be eligible as free agents in the summer of 2010. So there, if you were really reading the tea leaves and watching the way the moves that those three guys were making, you might have been able to predict you know, many weeks or even months or years in advance that they were going to end up playing together for Miami.
1: Sometimes in life, regrettable decisions can produce long-term positive results. From an ESPN, LeBron James, Maverick Carter perspective, this regrettable decision, do you feel like it produced long-term positive results? Oh, absolutely. Uh, And
0: and we go into that in depth uh, in our episode uh, that's premiering Sunday night, Evan. Um, First of all, for LeBron James and Maverick Carter, this was really their attempt, not just to control the narrative, but to step into a new lane of producing and becoming executive producers and to telling their own stories. Didn't go well that night, uh, and they made some mistakes that night. It was, uh, you know, it was their first go-around, but as Buzz Bissinger told me in the show, he said, you know, humiliation has its rewards. And they continued to move forward, and as, as you may know, they have two production companies, media production companies, uninterrupted in Spring Hill entertainment. And just this week it was announced that LeBron and Maverick Carter have raised a hundred million dollars for black storytellers. So, you know, it's been a huge success. LeBron has had shows like shut up and dribble more than an athlete, the shop uninterrupted. Uh, You know, he's producing, he's executive producing films, documentaries, and that was the move that they made that night. Uh, You know, LeBron and Maverick Carter wanted to be producers, And that that show, even though it went very badly, was the first show that they produced. And so there's a through line from that night to what LeBron and Maverick Carter and LeBron's inner circle are now doing with their storytelling.
1: Don, if LeBron had told the Cavs first and then went and did the TV show, The Decision, what do you think the reaction would have been? Well, you know,
0: I think that it was, I think his inner circle, first of all, look, what's interesting is they wanted to protect the scoop. There were a lot of reporters trying to find out where LeBron was going, and there was speculation they were going to the Heat, but they didn't want to tell the Cavaliers because they just assumed, probably correctly, that Dan Gilbert and other executives there would leak it and scoop the show. So from their viewpoint, that's why they kept it so close, of course, from the Cavaliers standpoint it's like look you were with us for 7 years the least you could do is let us know and not have to tune into a TV show or hear about it only a minute or two in advance uh so for the cavaliers it was a disrespectful move on the part of lebron which is why dan gilbert released if you'll recall that letter in the comic, comic sans, sans typeface yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and we go in and we go into that in the show as well and just how angry gilbert was by what lebron did but you know i don't know whether it would have held uh Evan, it's a good point. I mean, you know, would it have made a difference? I I really don't know. I don't think it would have probably made much of a difference. Just 15 minutes after LeBron said, I'm taking my talents to South Beach that night, Mike Wilbon uh, interviews LeBron from Bristol, from the studio in Bristol. And Wilbon shows LeBron an image of his jersey being burned in Cleveland. That's how fast the reaction of burning the jerseys occurred to the point where LeBron was still sitting in that chair and was asked for his reaction, and he kind of shrugs. You'll see it in our episode on Sunday night. So it wasn't just the way he delivered the news. Even when he saw the heartbreak in Cleveland, um, he doesn't really say much to make people in Cleveland feel that much better. And that was also a
1: big problem. Do you have any idea if the Heat were okay with the TV show? I know they were okay with the end results. I don't know, (laughs) obviously. (laughs) Yeah, I, I... yeah,
0: I wish I knew the answer to that. I don't. It's one of the things I did want to find out. Uh, you know, obviously Pat Riley and the Heat, they they knew the decision before the Cavaliers did. Um, exactly when they knew, I don't know. I mean, I know that D. Wade has his own documentary, and that night there's, there's an image, uh, there's footage of D. Wade watching the decision, and he, right. he appears to be on pins and needles. Um, because, you know, LeBron says that he didn't make the the final decision of where he was going to play until that morning after speaking to his mother. He tells Jim Gray that when he's sitting in the chair. Um, But, no, I I, I wish I knew that. I wish Pat Riley had sat down with us. D-Wade and Bosh also uh, didn't cooperate with us, unfortunately. I wish I knew the answer to that question.
1: You know, I remember talking with Don Van doing an amazing job. I'm so excited for the backstory on Sunday night about the decision with LeBron, 9 p.m. on ESPN. Evan Cohen with you here on ESPN 106.3. Uh, you know, one of the things I remember at the time, um, I was doing a show in West Palm, and the person I was doing the show with loved LeBron. I was not a LeBron fan, but I'm a Heat fan. I became a LeBron fan for four years, and then, of course, I turned on him like a typical terrible fan like I am. On the court <laughs> stuff, not off the court, right? But I remember the person, John Martin, who I was doing the show with, um, said to me, he said, well, wait a minute. If, the, like if, if you're bothered by the TV show, fine. The guy raised $2 million for charity. I trust LeBron 1,000% when it comes to off-the-court stuff like that. Do we have any idea? Did that money go for good? Are we, are we happy with where that money went? Do we know anything about that, Don? Well, I did look into that,
0: uh, obviously. I wanted to find out. I, yeah, I looked actually pretty hard at the economics of this, and people, you know— Some people may forget that LeBron got that hour of primetime television on ESPN given to him for free by ESPN. That's what ESPN had to do to get the exclusive. And as a journalist, I had problems with it 10 years ago, and and even today I have some issues with that, but... But it was done for charity, and, and that was a big selling point um, when John Skipper, the executive at ESPN, who I interview, sit down with him for this show, and he, and, he, and he gives a lot of revealing information, by the way, about the run-up to the show and the rationale for ESPN doing it, but the, 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 the charitable aspect, the fact that the sponsors that LeBron had, Coca-Cola Company, was Vitamin Water, if you remember, and the University of Phoenix was another sponsor, uh, Microsoft with their Bing search engine was the third sponsor, the sponsorship money for that hour, a little bit of an excess of $2 million was in fact given to the boys and girls clubs of America. And I look back at the LeBron James family foundation tax return for that year. And it's there, $2 million went a little bit more money, went to the Akron uh, boys and girls clubs. I mean, kind contributions were also given. So uh, the money there that they got, uh, for the most part, nearly all of it with, you know, minus some expenses, which is often done in this space, uh, went to a good cause.
1: Why Greenwich, Connecticut?
0: <laughs> That's such a good question. So my belief is, I was really hard nailing that down. My belief is is that Keith Clinkscales, who was an ESPN executive, and I interview him on camera, uh, had suggested it because of its close proximity to Bristol. Uh, and, of course, you know, as you'll recall, the Knicks were one of the teams vying for LeBron, LeBron services, and I've been a Knicks fan ever since I was a kid. So when I heard the Boys and Girls Club of Greenwich, like all Knicks fans, long suffering Knicks fans, I'm like, "All right, he's coming. He's coming to the Knicks," you know. And yeah. there was a. No, bunch I grew, of I grew fans up in outside. New York.
1: I grew up in New York as well, so I know exactly what you're talking about. So keep going on that one.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, no. And I was just saying there was a bunch of Knicks fans outside uh, the Boys and Girls Club that night, thinking like like I did that there was at least a chance of that. I mean, it's like the mother of all head fakes, right? But uh, but it really was had to do apparently with the proximity uh, to Bristol, um, why it was there, and um, and we go into a little detail. I want to save a couple things for your for your audience. We go into some very interesting details about the run up, the hours before the decision in Greenwich, Connecticut. LeBron was there uh, at an agent's house, and some interesting things that occurred. The, the lack of preparation, some other things that we. Uh, we figured out and we reveal on the show Sunday night. All
1: right. Last couple of quick things. Cause I know you're doing a million interviews today. So I do appreciate this. Uh, the late David Stern um, is on camera uh, in, in your piece. I saw in the trailer, I have no idea if you interviewed him prior or is it pre tape? I don't know what it is, but David Stern's role in this to me is fascinating Don, because the clip that I saw of the trailer, he's, he doesn't pull any punches about his displeasure for this. Correct.
0: Yes, that's right. Uh, We did not interview him on camera. That's the prior interview that he did, but we did get new information about David Stern's view of this, the commissioner, the late commissioner of the NBA. So Stern was livid when he first heard that ESPN was going to broadcast the decision. He was so angry that he called John Skipper, who was the number two executive at ESPN at the time, and begged Skipper to cancel the show. And so I interviewed Skipper about that, and I said, well, what made Stern so angry about this what was you know what motivated him to try to persuade you to cancel the show at the 11th hour and skipper said and i don't i don't think this has been anywhere he said the player was getting too much control stern was was concerned that lebron was in a in in such a uh big way big throated way was going to be able to say where he was going and he envisioned that this is bad for the owners it's players taking control. It's player empowerment. And, you know, Stern was prescient because we now see, as you know, Evan, you know, players in the NBA, star players, they can switch teams without even going through the free agency route. They just compl- yep. Anthony Davis, Jimmy Butler, you know, these, these are players that they don't even have to wait to become free agents anymore, and they switch teams. And, you know, the super team building is something that we've seen in the last few years that's gone on, and, and it all started with LeBron D. Wade and Chris Bosh in Miami in 2010.
1: See, this is another reason why I'm so excited to see this. I feel like there's an entire other backstory documentary just off of what you said, because as you're telling this story, I'm thinking of the difference currently between Adam Silver and Roger Goodell, one about player empowerment and one not, right? And then that moment, we forget David Stern, as great as he was, was not really about the player empowerment, and there's a great example of that, obviously, in that moment. Uh, Two more things, very quickly. Number one, what is the current relationship between LeBron James, Maverick Carter, and Rich Paul and their business, and Jim Gray?
0: I don't know the answer to that. So Jim Gray, uh, we ran at him very hard. He refused to talk with us. Uh, we had a lot of questions we wanted to ask him about his role in 2010. Um, obviously, he's on the record saying that the decision was his idea, uh, and we, we made it clear we wanted to ask him about that. So I don't, I don't know what that relationship is, Evan. It's a really good question. Uh, of, you know, whether he's working with them as an advisor. I, I really don't know what uh, what Jim Gray and uh, and uh, what Jim Gray's relationship is to the LeBron James group.
1: Okay, last thing, Donovan, on a backstory. the decision Sunday night, 9 p.m. He's been amazingly gracious with his time. It's so exciting to watch this. I can't wait on Sunday night. Is there something we have not discussed that you would like to tell our audience here in South Florida, obviously speaking to a ton of Heat fans and basketball fans, that I missed here that, that we should point out?
0: No, you know, I there the is and I, I will say that we really did try, Evan, and I, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out exactly when the big three had had agreed amongst themselves to to play together. I, I really wanted to break that news in the story. That's a really closely guarded secret. As you probably know, as a Heat fan, you know, Bosch has hinted at the fact that it was earlier. Though he has said, you know, there's all these conspiracies. He's he's also knocked it down at times. D Wade has knocked it down. So it's one of the things, you know, just for your your Heat fan listeners that I really tried to nail down. Um, you know, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence, as I indicated earlier, that it happened very early on, and and certainly look at all the moves they made in hindsight. It appears that this was always going to happen. Um, you know, that they were always going to get together and play in 2010. It's what they wanted to do. And so when LeBron says he made up his mind that morning after talking to his mother, you know, when I hear that, you know, you know I kind of roll my eyes a little bit. I, I, I don't think he was as undecided, but they've stuck to their stories. D. Wade and Chris Bosh still say, well, you know, he could have changed his mind. Well, that's true. He could have changed his mind, but I think it went back uh, much further than that. One other thing I do want to say, too, that we go into in this show is LeBron finding his voice. I mean, obviously that night it was so awkward. Um, he was so nervous. You know, it's almost as if he didn't want to be in that chair doing this. And since then, um, you know, he really has found his voice to the point where I think he's the most outspoken and influential American athlete on subjects of social issues, race, politics. You know, he tweeted out at President Trump in twenty seventeen, you bum, and then it was silence from the White House. I talked to Mike Wilbon about that during the episode on Sunday night. And even just yesterday, he was saying that uh, Roger Goodell and the NFL need to apologize to Colin Kaepernick. So LeBron finding his voice as well and getting much more confident in it is another aspect to this uh, that we go into in the episode Sunday night.
1: Don, amazing job. I can't wait for it. Sunday night at 9 p.m. Thank you so much for all the time here. Really looking forward to it. Congrats on a job well done in advance here of it airing on Sunday.
0: Thank you, Evan. Great to be with you. Really appreciate it. Stay
1: safe. You too. Thank you. There he is, Don Vannata, joining us here on ESPN 106.3. Just a tremendous, tremendous job uh, by him. And I am really beyond excited for this show on Sunday night. I think it looks great. I think there's a lot of background information. He just gave you more information about the fact that, you know, there's going to be kind of other stories that are in the mix as well. So I am very much uh, looking forward to this.